gentlemen. Gentlemen. Welcome to another dad battle. Now is anybody, and I mean anybody at all, willing to face our champion? son joined the golf team at school, so I bought him an extra pair of socks in case he gets a hole in one. Hole in one. His dad jokes are so effortless. See that? That's why he's the champ. That's nothing. The other day, my daughter said a good Christian dad would buy her a car. So I said, well, a good Christian kid would walk. Because that's what Jesus did. Fathers! Listen up, son. Just because God picked your nose doesn't mean you should. <laughs> when you start paying the bills, you can make some of the rules. Come on! Yeah. Yeah. Hold up! Who touched the thermostat? Yeah! That lawn isn't gonna mow itself. Let me stop what I'm doing and fix your boredom. Hi, Hungry. I'm Dad. <laughs> I love the smell of Home Depot in the morning. <laughs> Just wait till your mother gets home. Pull my finger. Nah. Just rub some dirt on it. <laughs> Proud of you. You can do hard things. I love you, no matter what. When God made you, He made something very special. Proudest day of my life is the day you made me a father. I thank God for you every time I get on my knees and pray. And again, who gives this woman? No, no, you look at me. You look at me. Who gives this woman to be married to this man? Mother and I do. 
Happy Father's Day. Stand, please. From Psalm 8. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beast of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Good morning, Calvary. Happy Father's Day to all you here, and happy Father's Day to everyone listening online. Let us worship our Father this morning together. Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Heavens declare your greatness, the oceans cry out to you, the mountains they bow down before you, so I'll join with the earth and I'll give my praise to you. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. The heavens declare your greatness. The oceans cry out to you. The mountains, they bow down before you. So I'll join with the earth and I'll sing. The heavens declare your greatness. The oceans cry out to you. The mountains, they bow down before you. So I'll join with the earth and I'll give my praise to you. I will worship. Bow down. 
Give the Lord a praise offering this morning. Amen. How majestic is his name. You may be seated. Thank you for joining us today. A few announcements, but before we get to the formal ones uh, back there, uh, I was informed this morning that I forgot something. Those of you that know me well know that's happening more frequently. But uh, a little over a week ago was the birthday, and I know some of you, like Dan Cope, he's got a birthday today, and my son Jason has a birthday tomorrow, and there's others of you that have birthdays, but there's a very special lady who, you know, you only turn 100 once in your life. No, she's not 100 yet. I told you I was going to embarrass you, Wilma. Um, <laughs> Wilma, Wilma Toy Hodges had a birthday, and I promised her that I'd come over to her house and sing happy birthday to her, and I didn't. So, Wilma, happy birthday to you, happy birthday to you, happy birthday, dear Wilma, happy birthday to you. There, you forgive me? <laughs> Amen. Uh, we have a lost and found department, and it got really full, and so tomorrow it's going to be totally empty. Whether you pick up your stuff today or not, it's going to all be donated tomorrow if you don't pick up your stuff today. So check out the lost and found in the atrium. There'll be a fellowship breakfast on July 3rd, the first Sunday of every month during the summer. We have a fellowship breakfast. And after June's event, we heard from a lot of you that you just want to be the ones providing all the breakfast treats. So the church is going to just provide coffee and creamer and you get to provide everything else. So if you want breakfast, bring your own. Okay? And bring enough to share. VBS starts tomorrow. Look at, look, doesn't it feel like you're in the ocean in a coral reef? Isn't that awesome? Zoomerang starts tomorrow. And Amanda, our director, wants me to tell you that if you are a volunteer for VBS, there will be a very brief meeting right after the service today right up front here, for all volunteers, you are required to come if you're volunteering. So please do that right after the service. And then speaking of volunteers, we have one more uh, group of volunteers that we need. Uh, we have one of our members of our Levite team who is one of our leads of, all the of many of the departments who's leaving, and you'll hear more about that. Uh, he's leaving for the summer. You'll hear about that in our prayer time today. But we are down to only five people working in our technical booth for sound, for lighting, and for screens. Five people is all we have. We desperately need your help. If you have any technical skills or would like to learn, and we don't have an age limit on it other than you have to be mature enough to be able to sit still and be quiet for the whole time of the worship service. Okay? So that leaves out some of the adults, I know, doesn't it? <laughs> so we need you to volunteer. So please volunteer to get involved in our technical booth. And because Alexi is in Brazil for two weeks, you'll have to talk to Pastor Josh to volunteer. Okay? So call him. 
All right? Thank you so much for how you give and support the ministry of Calvary. Let's pray, and then we're going to invite Nick to come up. Father, thank you so much for the way that you provide for us, even when desperately around us it seems like the economy is causing us a lot of pain. But we have confidence that you own the cattle on all the hills of the world. You own all the resources. They are all yours, and you can direct them in any way that you want. And we thank you for your provision for us. And we thank you especially for the privilege we have to be faithful in how we manage your resources so that we give generously. We thank you and praise you for what you have already done for us and what you will continue to do as Calvary reaches around the world to connect people to Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Amen. Nick and Jenna Fast are with Athletes in Action, and they're going to share an update on their ministry. Thanks, John. Good morning, Calvary. Yeah, this year, I think to start off, was just a lot more fun than last year. We moved. Uh, we've been doing this two years here now in Eau Claire. We moved in the middle of the pandemic, and so the first year of ministry was uh, all from our home and from coffee shops. We weren't even allowed on campus. So imagine doing campus ministry, and you're not allowed to be there. So this last year was awesome, just being on campus, finally being able to go to games and practices, build relationships with coaches and faculty, and just kind of have that ministry of presence. And so that was probably the biggest uh, update from this year is that we were there, and it felt amazing to be with students and meet people. Um, I just want to say a quick thank you, too. We had our golf-a-thon yesterday. That was our annual fundraiser for the ministry, and it went spectacular. We raised a lot of money, everything we need for the fall. One of our guys, Adam, got a hole-in-one yesterday. A lot of people won some good prizes. So it was, a, it was a good time. So thank you for those who participated by golfing, but also thank you for those who sponsored them and gave, because the Lord provided generously through all of you. Um, some, of those, some of those funds will go towards things like providing Bibles for students, evangelism and discipleship resources, sending students on summer missions. Uh, and I think about you know, some of the ways that I'm excited to use that money this fall is to get the Word of God into to more students' hands. I think that was this last year for me. One of my favorite things was going through the book of Romans with all of my discipleship groups and just seeing how the Lord uh, used just you know, an hour every week with these groups, going chapter by chapter, and just the depth that some of them grew in their relationship with the Lord. I was really excited. Uh, a lot of them, for the first time, were starting to confess sin, fight uh, for sexual purity. We're seeing victory. And it was just amazing to see how the Word of God transforms people's lives. And that is a big part of what we wanted uh, our, our ministry to be about, is just people growing in their depth of the relationship with the Lord, understanding the gospel in a deeper way, falling more in love with Jesus. And that was really exciting for me, was just to be in the Word with those guys every week. And then Jenna's got a story of another thing that's really important to us, and that's just getting the gospel to a wider audience and getting more people to hear for the first time. Thanks. Yeah, um, so one of the things that we also use the money for um, is for our team meetings. And so one of the things that we do in the beginning of the year and then at the, um, as each sport begins is we get together with um, the whole team of athletes for each sport um, we talk to the coach, we set up a time, and we get together, and we share with them a little bit about the opportunity with Athletes in Action, a little bit about who we are and what we do. Um, and then when we get together with them, we hand out things like Gatorade or something um, 
for them and a contact card. And then on that contact card, um, there's just things, there's options that they can check. You know, if they're interested in hearing about what it means to know God, if they have questions about him, if they want to get involved in a Bible study or a discipleship group. Um, so those are some of the things that are on there they can check if they're interested, and then we get together with them individually and, and talk about those things. So, um, yeah, one cool story. Um, we had a few, but one of my favorites from this year was um, a girl named Hannah that I got together with. She is a freshman. Or she was a freshman on the track team. She was a thrower. Um, and so she told me later that when we came into the track team meeting, um, she had kind of been in a place where she wanted to know more about God, and she'd been searching, but she didn't really know where to hear more about him she said that her older brother had had um, a degree in religion, but yet he, she'd ask him about God, but he didn't really want to talk about God. So I don't know what that was about, but she got together, and she's like, we got up. She's like, well, this is my chance. So she checked every, every single box, and we got together and um, got down to a coffee shop, talked to her about um, who we are, what we did, and then um, she just started asking questions about God. So I was able to share the gospel with her. Um, yeah, I just shared about who God was, um, what it meant, what sin was, what our need for him was, um, and then was able to share about um, what Jesus had done in his death on the cross um, and our decision. And so she um, definitely was like, yes, I totally want that, and she was thrilled. Um, so I was so excited to get to share the gospel, and she asked Christ into her life, um, and it was just, it was amazing. It was so perfect. Um, but yes, there's other stories like that as well, but I just... I love doing that. It gives us those opportunities for students that are out there that really don't have the chance to hear about God, which happens a lot more often, I feel like, in this day and age. So, yeah. So, yeah. So, thanks again, Calvary, for your support, and thank you for all those who are praying for us. The, the gospel is moving on campus, and, and college athletes are, are getting opportunities to say yes to Jesus because um, churches like this and people like you are, are behind us. So, thank you. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for Nick and Jenna. Thank you for bringing them into this local fellowship, but thank you for your call upon their lives to serve you faithfully with their whole heart and life and resources and energy and excellent skills so that the name of Jesus Christ gets more honor and glory in the campuses of our universities. Lord, a great need in such dark places and thank you so much that your light is shining so brightly through them. Continue to bless them and encourage them. Continue to have stories that they can share of how the Holy Spirit is moving in people's lives and they get to be a great part of the harvest of souls on our campus. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Please stand. Sorrow's Lamb of God by his own betrayed the sin of man and wrath of God has been on Jesus laid. So
Come on. 
thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before God and Father your work of faith and labor, of love and steadfastness, of hope in our Lord. Remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor, of love and steadfastness, of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Thessalonians 1, 2, and 3. In Christ alone found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are still, when striving cease, my comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Christ I stand. In Christ alone, who took on flesh, of God in helpless pain, this gift of love and righteousness, scorned by the ones he came to save, till on that cross as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied for every sin. Here in the death of Christ I live. There in the ground his body lay, light of the world by darkness slain. Then bursting forth in glory.
prayer. You just a few prayer requests this week, and uh, the first is next week uh, is the middle school campers are leaving for uh, summer camp, so we can be praying that even right now the Lord will be working on their hearts uh, to be ready for what the word that they'll receive there. Um, also, Kenny Paulson has uh, was diagnosed with tongue cancer about a couple months ago, um, and he is in the hospital right now, and he's going to be released tomorrow, but he has a long road of recovery and treatments ahead of him, so just continue to pray for him. Um, and, you know, tongue cancer, you can't speak well, you can't, you know, communicate with people, so just uh, that he be encouraged. Um, and then also, as mentioned, uh, VBS is this week. It's not just a crazy, well-decorated grad party here, um, but it's actually Vacation Bible School. So we continue to pray for volunteers to stay healthy. Um, there's already been some that have had, had stepped down, so we can pray for that. And there's also the um, students that are coming will hear Christ proclaimed clearly because um, we don't want to just have another fun time at church, but we want hearts changed for Christ. And then our last one was kind of alluded to earlier. Um, Michael Wood, who's doing screens in the back, and he's kind of a jack of all trades in that sound booth, uh, is leaving on Wednesday to go to Australia for a study abroad um, until about November. So um, you can pray for safety in his travels, that he'll be a great witness uh, wherever he's at, and also that we will be able to backfill him because he uh, makes a lot of things run smoothly here. So I'll give us a few seconds to pray, and then I'll close us in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a good father. We thank you for showing us what a good father looks like. Thank you for sending us the greatest gift we could ever receive in your son, Jesus, living a perfect life uh, and dying on the cross for our sins that we may be able to be in right standing with you. We just now pray for the week ahead. Lord, we have many plans, but we just desire for you to be glorified above all else. So we pray for the students that are coming to VBS. We pray for those that are going to camps. We just pray for those that are struggling with their health, Lord, that they will just put their trust solely on you, that you are the solid rock upon which we stand. We just now pray that as your word is proclaimed from this pulpit here, that we will be changed people, that our hearts will be more in tune and in love with Christ than when we started today. Pray all these things in your precious holy name. Amen. I need to start by uh, taking a deep breath. That was uh, a great realization that it is just in the power of Christ that I can stand here. It's in the power of Christ alone that I can be a father who gets great recognition when it's because of Christ. Um, deep breath didn't help, you can see. 
We serve an awesome God, don't we? One who is so awesome that he gave his son, Jesus Christ. So that we could live forever if we just trust him. So it's by his power that we are going to study Genesis 15 today, and I'm going to say anything that makes sense. And so I want to just start with prayer. Father God, we come to you and... Once again, we recognize that you are almighty God, you are in control, you are master of the universe, and it is by you that anything happens, that everything happens. It is in your control that anything makes sense. And so I pray this morning that as we open your word, that your words would come from this pulpit, that we would study your word and your word alone, that your Holy Spirit would guide us would teach us, and that we would give you glory for everything that we understand, because it is all through your power. And I thank you that it is in Christ, not in myself, it is in Christ alone that I get to stand, and that it is his righteousness that you see. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So as I mentioned, and as you can see, uh, we are studying the book of Genesis. Last week, we had a great message from Dave Johnson. He shared his heart with us, and uh, we do not look forward to him moving to Madison, but we know it is God's plan, and so it was great to hear from him last week. We pick up the Genesis study today in chapter 15. Now, let me remind you of what's going on here with a time frame. Um, Genesis 15.1, if you're turning there and if you happen to catch a glimpse of the first few words, it says, after these things is how that passage starts. That means that it follows directly what we studied in Genesis 14. And so if you remember, here's the timeline. God has called Abram to be the father of all nations, and he promised him that, that that would be his future Then we see that Abram and his nephew Lot were separated and they went to the different places of land that they chose. And then Lot, in a battle, was captured. And so Abram had to journey well north and rescue Lot. And upon returning, Abram was blessed by the priest of the Most High. Remember Melchizedek? And Melchizedek points us to Jesus So he was greeted by him, and then Abram faithfully tithed to Melchizedek while turning down the spoils of war that were offered to him from the king of Sodom. We already studied that. That's just your recap. And then during that tithing, Abram um, used a name for God that we hadn't heard or seen up to that point, which was El Elyon, which means most high. Now today, in chapter 15, we're going to see another name of God, and it is the name that was first used in chapter 15, verse 2, the first recording of this name. The name is Adonai. Adonai occurs 434 times in the Old Testament alone. There are heavy uses of the word Adonai in the book of Isaiah. It occurs 200 times in Ezekiel alone. And it appears 11 times in Daniel chapter 9. Adonai means master or owner. And it highlights God's supreme authority and his power. 
It shows us that he protects, he provides, and he guides. And when someone uses the name Adonai, it demonstrates that they understand this master-servant relationship. They understand where they are and who God is. And so when we see Abram use it, you know that he understands that God is the master. Adonai is the verbal parallel to Yahweh and Jehovah, which we've already studied. Adonai is plural. The singular of that word is Adon. In reference to God, the plural Adonai is used. And when it's singular, Adon is used. It usually refers to a human lord if you use the singular version. So when someone says like a lord um, or master referring to a human, then it is used in the singular. Um, it's used 215 times to refer strictly to men as Adon, Adonai is used to refer to God. Now, if you notice in verse 2, we are going to read chapter 15, but I want you to kind of take a peek at verse 2, and I want you to notice something. The word God is written in all capital letters. We've seen this before with the word Lord. Remember, we've studied this, where when Lord is all capital letters, it means something. The reasoning here for God being in all capital letters is because of the title that Abram is calling God. He's calling him Master, which is Lord. It would be a little strange if the translators said Lord, Lord, instead of Lord God. So that first word where it says, O Lord God, in verse 2, Lord is Adonai. God then is referencing Yahweh. So that's why it's not translated Lord, Lord. That's why God is all capital letters. And you already know that because we've studied that. So congratulations. Good job. Um, so why don't we, after we have introduced the term or the name of God, Adonai, let's read and keep up with what is happening in the life of Abram in chapter 15. We are going to read the entire chapter. If you are able to stand, we love to stand in honor of God's word being read. If you can't stand, please just direct your hearts to the sovereign word of God. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and he said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said, So shall your offspring be. And he, Abram, believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought them, brought him all of these things, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. 
And when the birds of prey came down to the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there. But they will, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve. And afterward, they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. You may be seated. So what we just saw there was an interaction between God and Abram. And what I want to do today is I want to just focus on two characteristics of God. I want to see two things out of chapter 15 that show us who God is. Now normally when a term like master or owner is used, it gives us this connotation of I don't know, mean-spiritedness, control. We think of a human master over a slave. And we don't get the prettiest picture. But what I want to show you from chapter 15 is that God, Adonai, is not like that picture that we have in our minds. There are two things, two characteristics from what we saw in chapter 15 that show us that God as master is completely different he is completely different than that slave owner idea that maybe you've gotten in your mind. And so I want to show you that God as master is patient. That's the first thing that I want to show you. As master, he is patient. What we saw in that story is that Abram had doubt in two different things. He asked God in verses 2 and 3, where is the heir that is going to be part of this promise that you gave me. Remember that God promised that Abraham or Abram would have descendants. And Abram is going, where is this son of mine? What's going to happen? And he also had doubt in the fact that, how am I going to know that I'm going to possess the land that you promised? I want you to think about doubt for a minute because we all have doubt. And so many times as believers we think having any sort of doubt is a terrible thing. And it can be. But what we see here from Abram is that his doubt was not doubting in God. His doubt was because he desperately wanted to see the promise of God, but he didn't understand how it was going to happen because he was dealing with the reality of, I don't have any heirs. He was not saying to God, I don't believe what you said. I don't believe in who you are. That's not what Abram was saying. That doubt, I believe, was him saying, I trust you, God, but how does this make sense at all? And I think we can all relate to that. We all have opportunities in our lives where we trust God. We know that God is who he says he is, but circumstances come up and we go, how is this going to be possible? I need some details. 
Abram is asking for details. He's crying out to God, like we see in the Psalms all the time, with his heart and saying, I don't understand. Please help me understand. And so I want you to see that God as master is patient. Because in Abram's doubt, God reminds him. What great patience from God. And fathers, you can think of this. How many times have you told your kids the same exact thing? Over and over And God is doing that with Abram because God has already told Abram so many things. But yet Abram still says, I need more reminders. And God, in his great patience with mankind, reminds Abram because Abram wants to believe. And so God reminds him. If you look at verses 1 through 5, God reminds him of his promise that he would have descendants Abram wondered about how this was going to happen because his heir at the time, because he didn't have a child, was going to be Eleazar of Damascus. You see, back in those days, if you didn't have an heir, then that heir would become the master or the head servant of your household. And Eleazar had a son. So Abram, without a son, would then pass down this descendant idea, this this heir would become Eleazar's son. And so what God does is he responds to Abram and he says, this man is not going to be your heir. Your heir will be your son. So God is giving more detail because God as master is patient with his people. Thank the Lord he's patient with us because we need a lot of help. We need a lot of reminders. God then, in part of his reminder of his promise, takes him outside. What does he show him? God, arm in arm with Abram, if we're visualizing it, says, look up to these stars. And if you can number them, that is the number of the descendants that you are going to have. So God, in a loving way, not a controlling way, but in love, he says, I'm patient. And I want to help you believe. I want to show you that my promise is true. Look at these stars. That is going to be an example of your descendants. And so God gives him a practical tangible illustration. The master of the universe comes to Abram and allows him to visualize the promise that God had given him. And it tells us in verse 6, after this practical visualization as the reminder, that Abram believed. We're going to come back to verse 6, so bear with me as we kind of skip verse 6. Trust that, yes, Abraham believed, and it was counted to him as righteousness. But part of God's reminder then picks back up in verse 7. Because right after God says, look at the stars, and Abram believed, verse 7 shows us that Abram once again had some doubt. Maybe you gave me this promise about the, the descendants, and you helped me visualize it, and I believe that, but what about the land? How am I supposed to know that I'm going to possess the land that you promised? And once again, God is patient with Abram, and he reminds him of not just his descendants, but God reminds Abram who he is and what he's done. Look at verse 7. How does God immediately reply to Abram in his question about the land? I am the Lord. I am the Lord. Immediately, Abram has to say, all of these other things that are rattling around in my brain, maybe they don't make sense, but God says, I am the Lord. 
I'm reminding you, it is not you who stand in yourself able to accomplish all of these things. I, God, Yahweh, he identifies himself as Yahweh. I am the one who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. I, God, Abram, rescued you from a family that served false gods, and I appointed you as the one who is going to be the descendant or the father of all the nations. It wasn't anything that Abram did. It was all about who God is and what God has done alone. And I think we can all relate because we all need reminders, don't we? I mentioned it with children, but adults, we need reminders all the time that God is God, don't we? Don't we need God to look at us with those four words and say, I am the Lord? And doesn't it bring clarity to situations where maybe we don't know what's going to happen, but we certainly know that God is God? When we doubt or when we struggle, God is there as a patient, loving Father to remind us of who he is and what he's done for us. That's why this morning was so impactful with the music to me because it was that solid reminder that it's nothing that I did. It is all in Christ alone that any of this makes sense, that any of it is possible. I can't achieve it. Jesus Christ achieved it. It's in him alone. And so we need those reminders just like God in his patience reminded Abram. But in Abram's doubt, God not only reminds him, but God showed him things. God showed him the stars as a visualization, so he saw the descendants. God showed him the land that he was going to possess. But God showed him something so important. God showed Abram that he can be trusted. God doesn't just give word. God gives help continued help for us to be reminded of who he is, that he is the God who can be trusted. As a master or an owner in a world's perspective, they can't be trusted. Owners and masters tend to be selfish and they control for their own benefit. But God as master, he gives and he loves and he is so patient with us and he shows Abram that he can be trusted. Abram asks him, how will I know that I'm going to possess this land? And you know what God does? God decides to show him that he can be trusted by making a covenant with Abram. Charles Spurgeon says, what? Abraham is not God's promise sufficient here? How can you still be doubting? And he continues and he says, Faith is often marred by a measure of unbelief, or if not quite unbelief, yet there is a desire to have some token or some sign beyond the bare promise of God. And that's what Abraham is doing here. Abram says, I might trust, but I, I need a little bit more to grasp a hold of. And God says, okay, fine. I'm going to settle this once and for all. As master, as creator, as almighty God, I am going to come down and I'm going to enter into a covenant with you. We're going to see a little bit more detail about that covenant at the end. But in those days, covenants were made by the sacrificial cutting of animals with the split carcasses separated and both parties of the covenant would walk through the middle of those animals and they would repeat the covenant out loud. 
What that does is they are agreeing, whatever they are saying as they walk through the middle, they are saying, if I break this covenant, then let my end result be the same as these animals. It's sealed in blood, this covenant. You cannot take two pieces of animal and put it back together and make it whole again. So this covenant was not just some guy's word that was probably waiting to fail. This was sealed in blood, never to be overturned. And God said, I'm going to settle this once and for all with you, Abraham. I am going to enter into this covenant. It's sealed and it's a promise that I cannot break it. Because we've already studied the nature of God that he is always to be trusted. He can never do anything that is a lie or deceptive. And so by entering into this covenant, it was guaranteed by swearing to himself, because there's no higher authority to swear by, God swore by himself that this is going to happen. And he did it because he's patient. He's a God of love. And Abram needed that. Just like we need that. In response to Abraham's doubt, the master, Adonai, he didn't react poorly. He didn't show frustration. He spoke to Abram in a way that he would understand through something that was common to the day with that covenant. The master of the universe is going to settle this matter once and for all. Cannot be broken because he is God. So we see the patience of Almighty God. But there's the second thing that we see. Something that we don't typically see when we use the word owner or master to refer to a man. But with God, it's different. Adonai is not only patient, he is gracious. I mentioned before that we skipped over verse 6. We're going to come back to verse 6 right now. Because in verse 6, we see the graciousness of our Heavenly Father. Where it says, Abraham or Abram, believed the Lord. This means not that just he believed in the existence of God because James tells us that so do the demons. They believe that God exists. This is not saying that Abram believed in the existence of God. Of course he did. What this means is that he believed God. Simply, he believed God. What God said, Abram believed. What God was promised to do, Abram took it to heart and he said, I don't doubt that for a moment. And God then replies and he says, I'm going to count that faith as righteousness. This is a foundational truth that is identified here. Because what this is, is that by faith alone, God counts Abraham as righteous. Abraham's justification by faith is a model of our faith in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, God's sacrifice for sin, and God's crediting Christ's righteousness to us by faith alone. And so I want to give you three points about this term, justification. There's three things that we learn from verse 6 alone and the context of verse 6. Justification means that you are being declared righteous. And there are three foundational things that I want you to see. That justification is based on grace through faith. It is not based on merit. It is not based on works. There is nothing that you can do to achieve righteousness. It's in Christ alone. He does it. And we see that from Genesis 15. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through 
faith. It is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. It's not a result of works so that no one can boast. It is by him alone. And we see that in the life of Abram because in Hebrews 11, there is a whole list that starts by saying, by faith. Abraham did all of these things. It wasn't the things that justified him. It was the faith, and it was the faith alone. And so we are justified, declared righteous at the moment of our salvation. Jesus Christ finished the work that was required for our justification, and he did it all on the cross. It satisfies God's justice because our sin isn't ignored or dismissed or excused. It was properly and fully punished at the cross by the person of Jesus Christ who took our punishment. Our sin was imputed to him, and in return, his righteousness is imputed to us when we are saved. Romans 5 details this if you want to study further. The second thing about justification that we see from Genesis chapter 15, specifically verse 6, is that faith doesn't require perfection. If there was a time to shout amen, that would have been it. Faith doesn't require perfection. Do you see that? That might be hard to swallow for some of you because you go, no, I've got this list of rules that I have to follow. But we see from the life of Abram, Abram doubted. And it didn't cancel anything from God. God didn't say, I withdraw my promise or I'm giving you 80% of the promise because you didn't measure up. God says, I give it all because I'm a gracious God and he's patient. So as a master, as Adonai, he is so gracious and that faith doesn't require perfection. Romans 3, 23 through 26 says this, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came through Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a blood, as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith, not works, faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. To me, just that study alone settles the debate. Is it, is it based on works or is it based on faith? It says those who have faith in Jesus and that faith doesn't have to be perfect. It can't be perfect because we're flawed. That faith is a gift from God because he's gracious. And the third thing about justification is that it declares us righteous. It doesn't make us righteous. Romans 3 says no one is righteous. No, not one. So it isn't up to man, it's up to God, the master. He declares us righteous because of Jesus Christ and because of Christ's sacrifice. We are declared justified. Notice in verse 6 when it says he counted it to him as righteous, as righteousness. It doesn't say that God made Abram righteous, but he counted it to him as righteousness. Justification declares you righteous. The root idea in justification is the declaration of God himself, the righteous judge, that the man who believes in Christ, sinful though he may be, is righteous. It's a declaration of God. That man is viewed as being righteous because in Christ he has come into a righteous relationship with God. And it's nothing that I can do to earn it. It is only through Christ's sacrifice on the cross. There is a process that we are all going through 
of overcoming more and more our sinful inclinations and growing in righteousness, that process is called sanctification. But justification is done. You are justified freely as a gift from a gracious Father when you accept Jesus Christ as Savior. And His righteousness is now yours. So for you fathers, I see so many elements from this quick overview on justification, if you will, that apply to us. You see, as master, God's demeanor toward us as unrighteous, sinful, wicked people is one of patience and grace. He fathers his children in the way that we are to father our own children. So fathers, are you patient in how you deal with your children? Do you remind them of what is good, like God reminded Abram? When they doubt or question over and over, just like Abram did, do you patiently show them the answer without frustration? Fathers, are you gracious with your children as they grow in understanding and wisdom? Do you show them grace or do you require perfection? Do they earn your attention through some sort of good behavior or obedience? Or do you freely give as Adonai has freely given in his grace? It's so easy to bargain with our children, to try to have some reward structure based on behavior, to negotiate with them. And maybe there's validity in some of those behavioral situational tendencies, but it should not define how we father you see, God's covenant with Abram is based on grace, not merit. Did you notice in that passage in Genesis 15, who walked through that covenant? Who sealed that covenant? It was God alone who made the promise. It was God alone who sealed the covenant. And God alone is the guarantor of that. Abram didn't walk through it as was customary with that type of covenant. It wasn't both parties in this example. It was God and it was God alone because it wasn't up to Abram to agree to it. It wasn't up to Abram to do anything about it. It was God's gift of grace. grace. He was patient and he sealed it and guaranteed the covenant on his own. Galatians 3 says, this is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterwards does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by law, it no longer comes by promise. But God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Sometimes as you study this particular idea, people will use the word contract and covenant interchangeably. And I would caution that because a contract is typically between two equal parties who are bargaining and then they agree to terms and then they both sign it. But a covenant historically was actually between a conquering king and the one that they conquered. And there was no negotiation, but they both had to just agree that this is our new relationship. I've been conquered, you are the conqueror. Now in this particular example with God, this covenant is made by him. And it doesn't require Abram to fulfill it. He doesn't walk through as his signature. It is God alone who does it. The only part that Abram had to play was to say yes. Which basically says amen. I agree. 
This is who God is. This is what he's done. This is what he is going to do. And I believe it and I trust it. And I don't have to sign the covenant, but I am agreeing that that is exactly what God does and who he is. And so I want you to think, as my closing point, about Jesus Christ and his sacrifice. You see, God's gift of Jesus as our sacrifice is based on grace, not merit, not works. Jesus went to the cross alone. He finished the work alone. He alone guarantees that you are justified and that you are marked as righteous. The only part that you get to play is that you can say, I agree or I disagree. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus did it all and that he alone is Savior, congratulations, you are righteous because Jesus has given you his righteousness. God looks at you as righteous. You are justified freely. The only thing that you need to do is not walk through some covenant. It's done and over with at the cross. You have to say, I believe it. I can't measure up. I can't create a whole list of things that make me look like a good person that someday God is going to evaluate. If God and you have a meeting and he looks at you and doesn't see Jesus Christ as your savior, then you are not righteous. That's it. It's not complex. And so today, I challenge you desperately to recognize the need that every single person in this place has. That's the need of a savior. There isn't one person magically in here who gets to have a life that they lived very well and that's gonna qualify them. It is Christ that qualifies them. It's Christ alone and if you haven't given your life to Christ, if you haven't recognized that it is him who went to the cross for you because he lived perfectly for you, then it doesn't work. Fathers, if this isn't important to you and you're not passing it on to your children, it's not going to work. It is God, the master, the greatest father ever who is patient. He is gracious with us. He gave us a savior, his own son. Would you recognize that today? And if you already know that, would you celebrate this idea that it's not you who makes righteous Yourself, it is Jesus Christ's righteousness that God sees. Would you pray with me? Father, you are an awesome God. And I'm overwhelmed today with how patient and how gracious you are. I know that today is filled with so many testimonies of kids who say wonderful things about their dads and I'm so thankful for my own that they can say that but I know that I am not a perfect father I know that I am not patient I know that I'm not gracious but you God are and I submit myself to you to keep teaching me and guiding me because it's all your work I want you to be on display in my life. And all of that is made possible because of Jesus Christ. And I can confidently say today that I am a child of God. That it's because of Jesus Christ in my life that I have relationship with God. That I can trust your promises. That I can count on who you are, God. And if there's someone here today that doesn't know Jesus, 
then they may know of God, but they don't believe in God and they don't believe God in that relationship because it's only through Jesus that makes it possible. So during this last song, if that's you, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, maybe you have questions or maybe you, you are ready today to submit your life to him, would you come forward? Or would you go out into the atrium where a few elders will be? Maybe you need privacy and that's okay. You need Jesus and let's make sure that happens. And for the rest of you who know Jesus, would you make sure that this final song is a declaration of how much you love him? I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand. Would welcome me. I was lost, but he brought me in. Oh, his love for me. Oh, his love for me. Who the sun sets free. Oh, is free. Jesus died for me. Yes, he died for me. Who the sun sets free, all is free.
the Gospel of John, chapter 8, Jesus says, So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. In 1 John, chapter 3, the declaration, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. We are God's children now, if you have Christ as Savior, and when he declares you free, you are free indeed, because our gracious master in heaven, our Father, sent his Son so that you could be free. Would you celebrate that as you celebrate Father's Day? Please stack chairs. You are dismissed. Thank you.